So, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is found near the end of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are the minor prophets, and Jonah is about right there in the middle of the minor prophets. If you're having trouble finding him, and if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you in the seats in front of you beneath the seats. It's a beautiful day, even though it is rainy and gross outside, and even though there's a certain team that maybe didn't uh, win, for those of you who are cheering for them, uh, it is still a beautiful day. We still have a lot to be thankful for. Um, and I love Thanksgiving just in general. Uh, not only that it gives us a time to reflect on God's great provision, but it, for some of us who, like a pastor, I know that love to celebrate Christmas year-round. It's the kickoff to the Christmas season where we can be internally thankful for what God has done for us and as we reflect on that. So, as you know, I'm not Pastor Nick. He'll be back next week. He's going to be preaching, picking up where he left off in John chapter 19. Uh, but this week we are going to be in Jonah. Let's take a few moments now and prepare our hearts for what the Lord has for us. Father God, you are good. You are so good. Your word is never failing, even though we fall so short. Your love is unconditional. Thank you for your living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that teaches us how best to live. Guide and direct us now in this time and speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So hopefully now you've had an opportunity to find Jonah. If you're able to, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading all of chapter one. Beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come, upon, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship might threaten to break up. But the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what, are, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account is this evil come upon us? What is, the, what is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of them... And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of, of heaven, 
who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, What shall we, we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temp temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you because I, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Jonah's story is one that we love to simplify and to teach children, and it's in almost every children's Bible story that you read, um, like the one we read earlier, and which is a, a great one in that it's the Jesus Storybook Bible because it points every story points back to Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. But we go so far in fictionalizing it that our kids almost make it hard to it makes it hard for us to believe that it actually happened. And then as adults we kind of forget it. We, we kind of move on from this story. But I've always loved the story of Jonah because in it I see God's unconditional love. I see so many comparisons that can be made between Jonah's life and the life of Jesus. The many ways where a human being messed up and the Son of God did not. I see a prophet who is called to speak the word of God to his people. The prophet is shown to be stubborn, disobedient, and desires to smite, have God smite his enemies. And yet, we see a patient God as he works through his fallen prophet, all the while trying to teach his prophet and to reach his prophet's heart. Through Jonah's many struggles, God still speaks to him. God still tries to teach Jonah in spite of Jonah's bullheadedness. Jonah's bullheadedness is something I can relate to a little more often than I'd like to admit. So Jonah's call to obedience. In verse 2, we see God calling Jonah, telling him to go to Nineveh. This is Jonah's calling. This is not to say that this would have been an easy task for Jonah. Nineveh was a huge city that we know. Where would Jonah go? Who would he speak to? What would he say? And speaking out against it. More importantly, the people of Nineveh were enemies of the Jews. So how would the Ninevites, who are fallen people, living in sin, how would they respond to an enemy stepping in their gates, saying and speaking out against it, saying that they, there is judgment coming upon them? How would they respond? I would say, without complete faith in God and His goodness and without trust in it, these are all fair questions and reasonable concerns. If Jonah had responded to God speaking to him with questions on the specifics, while not ideal in that it would display a lack of trust on Jonah's side, 
it would be far better than what Jonah decided to do next. It was his not-so-very-good plan, as the storybook Bible said. A response of doubt like this would be a response similar to Zechariah and his response when the angel told him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. Zechariah doubted that God would be able to do this, for he said, I am old, and my wife is barren. How can we have this child? He doubted. He had faith. Zechariah was then subsequently punished for his lack of faith in that he was rendered mute until the naming of John. However, we do not see Zechariah disobeying the word from the angel, just doubting what God was able to do. Jonah, on the other hand, we see him taking action. I mean, even if Jonah had been like that child, which I'm sure parents have never heard this, but they ask your child to do something, and they say, I can't. It's too hard. I'm sure that's never been said before, but this still would have been better than what Jonah decided to do next. Jonah decides to sail to Tarshish. As all of our children's stories say, it's the exact opposite direction. We know that Nineveh is over here. Tarshish is over there. He's as far as I can get away from Nineveh. Verse 3 makes it very clear that Jonah is not going to Nineveh, but is going to Tarshish. Three times in that one verse alone, it states that Jonah is going to Tarshish. Reading it again. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. So three times there. Away from the presence of the Lord. So he's fleeing. He's going in the opposite direction. He's doing everything he can not to obey. He's making an active uh, thought decision to go in the opposite direction. So he takes action to show just how willing he is to go out and be disobedient to God's calling. Somehow, either Jonah thought he could hide from God, or maybe he thought he could distance himself as far as possible from the task that God called him to, and then he wouldn't have to do it. We don't know exactly what was going through his mind. The idea of hiding from God in and of itself sounds extremely silly. We all know that we cannot hide from God. However, how many times, church, do we try to hide our sin from God? Do we try to keep our sin in the darkness and not confess our sins as God calls us to? God is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. We cannot hide from him no matter what lengths we go to. If Jonah thought he would get off the hook from the task he was called to by getting as far away as possible, then he had another thing coming. Like a child who runs to their bedroom when told to clean up the mess they made in the kitchen, God showed that Jonah that no matter how far he ran, he could still be brought back to complete that task he was called to. We don't really know what was going through Jonah's mind here. But what we do know is that the action he took was in direct disobedience to God's calling. So, Jonah's on the run, trying to avoid obeying God's calling. God sends a terrible storm, one that is so bad that these experienced sailors who are running the ship are fearful for their lives. So this is not a small storm. One, and in the midst of this storm, where do we find our prophet? What is he doing? One would hope that you would find him on the deck doing everything he can to help the sailors to survive this storm, or even better yet, 
on his knees praying to God, Lord, forgive me. I have been disobedient. Help us through this storm. But not Jonah. Instead, we find Jonah below deck sleeping, doing nothing to help the situation. Verse 6 is full of irony here. Let's look at this verse again. Looking back at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. See the irony in this situation. The sailor is pagan, worshiping many gods. And he recognizes the situation. And this pagan sailor is telling God's prophet the man of God who is to be in communion with God, regularly praying, regularly talking with God. And he's not doing it. And here this pagan sailor comes along and says, you need to be praying. Call out to your God. Pray. And even still in this text, we do not see that Jonah followed the sailor's command and got on his knees and prayed. Instead, we get the impression that Jonah continues to be obstinate towards the will of God. But at least this time he does finally get out of bed. It's a step in the right direction, but he's still being disobedient. So the storm continues to rage and get worse and worse, and the sailors are fearful for their lives. And in verse 12, Jonah gives his solution to the problem. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, because I know it is of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What is not clear here is how Jonah came up with this solution. Scripture does not say that God spoke to Jonah to give him this idea or thought. And it does not imply here that Jonah came up with it on his own. We really don't know how he came up with the solution. His solution was him effectively telling the sailors to kill him. Because if you're thrown out in sea, and you have no land in sight, and there's no helicopters back in that day to come and rescue you, he is as good as dead out in that water. Was Joni thinking? Was this, was this solution one of selflessness, saying one that says, let me sacrifice myself for the good of the others, that maybe this will allow the sea to calm down? Or was it one of selfishness? Was Jonah thinking, you know, if you kill me by throwing me overboard, I really won't have to obey God's calling on my life because I can't because I'm dead. We really don't know what Jonah's motives here, but from Jonah's track record here in this first chapter and clues given to us in the later chapters, I would say it was a motive of selfishness. He was still trying to disobey. He was still refusing to fully and completely obey God's direct calling to him and his life. Like Jonah, sometimes obedience to the one true God is not always easy. Sometimes we are called to do things that are hard, that are difficult, that we don't understand. Maybe obedience puts us in an awkward spot sharing the gospel with someone that we dislike or we're not comfortable talking to. As children of God, obedience is not something that is reserved just for our kids, just for our little children. In fact, quite the opposite. The older we get, it seems the higher the stakes are 
and our calling to obedience. For example, as a parent, I am called to obedience in the raising of my children. I am called to teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. If I fail to be obedient in this task, it could have eternal consequences not only for me, but for my children as well, that the Lord has entrusted to my care. Our call to obedience is not because God wants us to be unhappy or to lead a difficult life, but quite the opposite. In Jeremiah chapter 7, the prophet Jeremiah is actually obeying the Lord, unlike Jonah, and standing in the temple gate, calling out against the evil in the land of Israel. In Jeremiah's obedience, we see the heart of God and why he wants us to obey. In verse 23 of chapter 7, it reads, But this command I give them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Do you hear that? God wants us to obey because he wants what is best for us. Walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. I would say that an all-knowing, sovereign, merciful God who sees the entire picture, he sees the near and the far, he would know what is best for us. We don't always know what's best for us. We may think we do, but we don't know. We obey. So how do we go about obeying? We're called to obey, but how do we do it? First, we obey by spending time with God, reading and studying his word. This is why Pastor Nick emphasizes the importance of the scripture reading every week. This is how God speaks to us and shows us what obedience looks like. Or in the case of today's passage, what obedience doesn't look like. Second, we need to be spending time with God in prayer, communing with our Creator. Fortunately for us, when we fail to be obedient, we have a God who is patient and merciful. In this passage, we see God's mercy displayed in multiple ways in this first chapter of Jonah. We see God's mercy in the sparing of the sailors' lives. God did not send a storm to sink the entire ship Instead, he displayed his great power over nature by sending a storm that was just strong enough that the sailors realized they couldn't do it on their own and that they were in, their lives were in danger. They were fearful for their lives. However, the storm was not so much that the boat sank right away. We see God's mercy and the leading of the sailors to see the power of the one true God. Looking back at verse 14 again. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on, his, on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. There's also irony in this verse. In the entire first chapter, we never see, with all that's going on, we never see Jonah, God's prophet, ever once praying. However, here these pagan sailors, who worship many gods, are calling out to the Lord for mercy. In this, we see God working through Jonah and his disobedience to draw these sailors to him, even though Jonah is not being drawn to him. 
And then we see that as soon as Jonah is thrown overboard, the sea goes calm. God shows to those sailors that he is the one true God and that he controls the sea. The fear of the Lord started out with the sailors as a general fear, but through God's display of the power of the sea, it grew into an intense reverent fear that resulted in them making sacrifices and vows to the Lord. Had not God been merciful, this would not have taken place. And of course, we see God's mercy in the sparing of Jonah's life by sending a great fish to swallow him up. Likewise, God has great mercy for us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our, of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love this scripture passage because Paul so eloquently presents the gospel message here. We cannot do enough good works to get to heaven, but it's only through the saving faith in Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of perfect obedience and the display of God's incredible mercy. I love what the Gospel Transformation Bible commentary writes about Jesus in contrast to Jonah. It says, Jonah was in a good place, doing good work, enjoying a good life. Then God said to Jonah, I want you to go to another place and do a different work for the sake of people I love, people who are facing an imminent judgment. Jonah said, no. Jesus was in heaven, ruling the universe by the word of his power, adored by angels. He was in the best place, doing the best work, and enjoying the best life. Then the Father said, go to another place where you will be utterly rejected. You will live a life that will lead to torture, crucifixion, and death. You will become an atoning sacrifice for the people I love who are facing an eternal judgment. Jesus said, yes. Recognizing all that Jesus did, recognizing that Jesus did all this on our behalf moves us from being the kind of people who care about our own comfort, reputation, and success to caring more about the people all around us, whom we are called to love and serve. Loved much, we are freed to love much. God has great mercy for us, and he desires for us to be drawn to him. Isn't it beautiful that we are loved so much by Jesus that he obeyed the call of his Father even when he knew the obedience would be difficult and painful? As imitators of Christ, we are called to obey as God speaks to us through his word and to repent or turn away from our disobedience and turn to the one true King who is waiting with open arms to receive us 